Amen. As you're seated, go ahead and grab those Bibles and let's get them opened and turn to James chapter 4. The final section of chapter 4, James addresses three sins that we need to, to guard ourselves against. So we're going to look at each one of those this morning. The first sin is the sin of presumption. The sin of presumption is the sin of uh, when we uh, make plans without including God in the planning process. And so let's just dive right in. Look at verse number 13. He says, now listen, you who saying today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That phrase that he starts with, now listen, would literally be translated as go now. It's the same phrase that begins chapter 5. This is a, a conversational phrase that's used only by James in the New Testament. And it is a, it is a strong, albeit maybe even harsh, attention-getting type of phrase for him to say. It's a statement that both goads the listener and gains their attention. And so he's talking about this offender. The offender that is attacked by James is what we might consider a fairly typical business person. One who goes about making their plans without any thought or consideration uh, to include God in that planning process. You can see the arrogance of this individual. Look at how he is self-assertive in his travels. He, he boldly declares that we will go to this or that city. He, he's self-confident in his time schedule. He says that we're going to spend a year there. Then he's self-centered in his trade relationships. He makes the, the statement that we're going to carry on business and, and make some money. James is depicting a go-getter salesman out drumming up business with the bottom line objective of making money. Now this plan presumes that this person's plans are his to make. Notice how God's not included in any of the process. This person simply makes the plans for themselves thinking that they have the right to know and to determine. So to be clear, there is nothing wrong with making plans. We should plan and prepare for the future. In fact, we should never fail to plan or to prepare. In fact, we would be a lot better off if all believers consistently made plans and preparations before they act or, or before they spoke. And so planning before we act is not what James is addressing here. He's talking about making plans without including God in the planning process. And that's the problem. Sadly, most people make their own plans for their own lives without seeking any input from God. In fact, we tend to make our own plans and then ask and expect God to bless our plans that we made for ourselves without giving any consideration to what He would have us to do. And so uh, you can be a believer 
and still ne- neglect God in your everyday life. And that's a sad state to be in. I mean, it is sad when I hear people say, I don't believe in God. I don't really believe that He exists. But what I, what I find more disturbing sometimes is when I hear other people say, I trust and I believe in God, and then they go about and they live their lives as though God doesn't even exist. And so the point of this text is to, to warn those that feel completely self-sufficient for those that are perfectly at peace with making their own decisions and, and planning their own lives. So many believers are are living their lives as though they only need God or turn to God when they have an emergency that they can't handle. And, And so what's the solution? Look at verse number 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or or that. So first of all, he starts with life. We must realize that life is a gift from God. And in order to experience life in its fullness, as we plan and prepare, we must include God in that process. In fact, we should start with God in the process. We should begin our planning and our preparation by asking God, God, what do you want me to do? What is it that you desire from me? We should go to him and say, Father, how do you want me to to respond to the circumstance or to the situation that I'm now faced with? We should seek him first. And here's the thing, if we would seek his input from the beginning, we could avoid a lot of heartache and misery in life. And so, I think it's interesting that this phrase or this expression that James uses and says, if it is the Lord's will, That phrase appears nowhere in the Old Testament. You won't ever find it there. You'll find it used in several different places in several different ways in the New Testament. Think about this. Jesus taught His disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He taught them to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus Himself with tears and, and, and sweat as blood flowing from his head in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed. He prayed that prayer three times. And then the early Christians followed this example. They, they used such phrases that you'll find in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 17. It says, if it's God's will. Or in other places like Hebrews 6, verse 3, it uses the phrase, God permitting. I mean, Paul promised the Ephesians in Acts chapter 18, verse number 21. Paul promised the Ephesians, and he said, I will come back if it is God's will. To the church in Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 19, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. So there's this understanding, there's this dependency upon trusting and turning and living and responding based upon the will and the plan of God for our lives. Now, I do recognize that in other places, Paul doesn't use such phrases. In fact, there's other places he speaks with such confidence, like, like places in Romans chapter 15, verse number 8. He confidently says, so after I've completed this task, 
and you and I've made sure that you've received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. He doesn't include the, the saying, God permitting, or if the Lord wills. We don't want to highlight that because I want you to understand it's having the right mindset, having the proper attitude that's more important than saying the right words. So it's not about the exact words, it's the attitude, it's the mindset, it's the approach. Did you know that for hundreds of years, Christians used to pin their letters by, by signing their names and then adding the initials D.V.? For hundreds of years, that's how believers used to sign their letters. They'd write their letter to the loved one, sign their name, and put D.V. And what is D.V.? What is that all about? It's the initials for a Latin phrase called Dio Valente. And Dio Valente means God willing. If it's God's will. And so James is saying that this ought to be our response in life. That whatever we do, whatever we say is based upon the Word of God in accordance to the will of God. And so think about the implications of this, right? If we would embrace that Dio Valente mentality, then that interview that you're about to go on for the job, instead of trying to convince John, instead of trying to convince the Lord that this is the right job for you, you know, God, please let me have this. This is perfect for me. This is what I've always wanted to do. Oh, God, if you let me have this job, then I'd have my Wednesday nights I can get back to the church. Or, God, if you give me this job, I'll be blessed financially, and I can start tithing and giving offerings to the church. Instead of trying to negotiate with God and try to convince God, why don't you just deal valente the whole thing? Just go in with the right attitude that says, God, I know that you love me. God, I know that you have a perfect plan for me. Therefore, I'm going to trust and I'm going to rest in your sovereignty. So God, deal valente, if it's your will. If it's your will, Father, then make it happen. Make it happen. Deal valente that interview. Then you don't have any stress going into it. You don't have to convince anyone. You're trusting and you're relying on God's work in your life. And if it's where you're supposed to be at the time that you're supposed to be in, then the answer will be yes. And you can have confidence in knowing that you're now stepping into a blessing. But if the answer is no, then you can have peace in knowing that God is in control. That is so much better than trying to make choices for yourselves and then asking God to bless your decision. And then if you get that job, then you're stuck wondering, man, was this the right thing or not? I don't understand because I'm not seeing the blessing. I'm not experiencing the peace. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 14. He says, what is your life? This is the encouraging part of the message. It says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So James not only warns us not to be presumptuous about our plans, he also warns us not to be presumptuous about our lives. Life is a gift from God. And our lives are at most a vapor. A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Once we are born into this world, there is only one thing that is certain. We're going to die. Every single one of us, we're going to die. Sooner or later, 
we're all going to die. We seldom know when death will happen. We seldom know how death will occur. It may be due to a blown tire. It could be because of someone falling asleep at the wheel, a drunk driver, a disease, theft, domestic violence, a heart attack, fire, the process of of old age. I mean, the end of life will come to every single one of us and there's nothing that we can do to stop it. It may come today. It may come tomorrow. It might not come for 30, 40, 50 years from now. But know this, death is coming for you. And no amen to that one. I wonder why. Why? If you're a believer... Hey man, take me away from this place and put me in the presence of Jesus. I've got nothing to fear about dying because I have everything to gain in that process. Could it be that maybe we're too attached to this world and the thought of death and separation from this world causes pains for us? I don't know, that's bonus. I wasn't planning on going there. All I know is that life is uncertain, totally uncertain. It's not even certain for this moment, today, or tomorrow. Therefore, we must cherish every moment that we have. And we must live every day to its fullest for the glory of God. And so James starts off and he dresses this section with the sin of presumption. Then he goes into the sin of boasting. Look at verse number 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Be clear here. He's saying all such boasting is evil. That such boasting is pointing back to the boasting in his arrogant schemes. I'm trying to help you to see the distinction there because boasting is not always a bad word in the book of James. I'll show you. Look at chapter 1. Look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse number 9. James says, The poor brother can take pride in his high position. That phrase, take pride, is the same word. It's boasting. The poor brother can boast in their high position. Not only that, look in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse number 13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. The word triumph is the same Greek word that's translated as boasting. So mercy boasts over judgment. So, so not all boasting is bad. However, boasting about life, future plans, boasting about your accomplishments without considering uh, the will of God or glorifying Him in the process, that is what is evil. We have a tendency to boast. We have a tendency to, to seek to be recognized as being more successful than we actually are. And notice what Scripture says. All such boasting is evil. So the question is, why is it evil? And what's the harm? The reason is man's life, our abilities, and our opportunities are all due to God. They come from Him. So, so not only that, but the future. That's today, tomorrow, whether it's 10 years from now, 
10 minutes from now, the future is all in God's hand. May you understand that it has everything to do with God and nothing to do with us. It's all about Him. And so when we boast, we are stealing glory from God. We're stealing the glory from God, the one to whom glory is due. And so to boast about our lives, but to boast about our accomplishments, is to focus the attention on ourselves. It's saying that we had everything to do with it. Look how good I am. Look how special I am. And it's giving no recognition, no attention to God. And He's the one that deserves all of the praise. And so James shows us that it is a sin to make plans without including God in the planning process. He says that it's a sin to brag and to boast about life or accomplishments without giving glory and honor to God to whom it's due. And then he gets to this third sin here in verse number 17. Verse number 17, he says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. And so why do people who know the will of God or who know what God's Word tells them to do, why would people who know what God's Word tells them to do not do what God's Word told them to do? Well, what's going on here? Why would people deliberately disobey? Well, one of the reasons is what we kind of unpacked last week. One of the reasons is the result of pride. Trying to position yourself above the law. Saying that that law, that commandment doesn't really apply to you. It applies to everyone else. And so in our prideful position, we pick and choose which things we want to follow. But there's another reason. Another reason why we might deliberately disobey the Word or the will of God. And that is simply based upon our ignorance about the nature of God's will. Our ignorance about the nature of God's will. What does that mean? It means that people have a tendency to act as though the will of God is something that they can either accept or reject. People act as though the will of God is something that they can just pick and choose. I mean, you understand, the will of God is not an option. The, the will of God is an obligation for us to adhere to and to follow. What I loved about uh, the, the Bible study uh, class that happened before the service today is walking through a, a portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 16 says, when each part is working properly, what, what each part, each part is referring to the body of believers. The illustration is that you're, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, then you're a part of the body. And he uses the illustration of a physical body. So each part of the body, when it's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, so how does the body grow? When each part of the body is working properly. So what does that mean? It means that biblical church growth occurs when we all are fully using our spiritual gifts. When we are all understanding how God gifted us and we're serving within our spiritual giftedness, when the whole body is engaged in using our spiritual gifts. 
in submission to the Holy Spirit with cooperation with other believers, all for the glory and the praise of God, then the church is growing in strength. So this church is going to be as strong or will be limited in its strength development based upon individuals participating and exercising their spiritual giftedness. Man, that's heavy. It means that your spiritual growth, development, and faithfulness to do what God's called you to, or your lack thereof, has a direct impact on the, on the body and the fellowship of believers. It has a direct impact on the influence that we have in this community. We must be obedient to the Word and to the will of God because He's the Creator and we are His creatures. We must submit to Him because He is Lord and Savior and we are His children and servants that we must obey Him. This is such a huge part of James's writing, encouraging believers to do the right thing. It's like, don't settle for, for simply hearing the Word of God and, and thereby just deceiving yourself. That's why James says to, to be doers of the Word of God. And I think that we have a tendency to think about sin in, in terms of things that we do, right? Uh, you know, cheating, yeah, that's sin. When we lie, that's sin. Steal, kill, commit adultery. Yes, these are all sins. These are sins of commission. These are sins that we've committed because we did something. But So there's the sin of commission, the, the sins of the things that we do, but there's also this thing called the sin of omission. The, the right things that we fail to do. And, and truth be told, we miss the mark so often because we fail to do what the Lord instructs us to do. I'll give you an example. Let me ask you Are you holding on to a grudge today? Are you holding on to anger? Resentment? Holding on to some bitterness? Are you withholding forgiveness towards someone else? I mean, you know that you're supposed to forgive and to let go, but you're just not there yet. Man, if that's you, then what you also need to know is every moment that you're living and you're just not there yet is another moment that you're living in sin. Being disobedient to what God calls us to do. In respect to Ephesians chapter 4, you're a child of God then you're a part of the body of Christ. And you're a part that has a function. Like, do you know what your function is? Are you chasing after that function in your life? If you are, praise God. If you're not, that's a sin. In Proverbs chapter 3, what you... Just hear these words because I want you to think, are you willing to, to compassionately respond to the needs of other people when, when you become aware of those needs in life? In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. 
Do not say to your brother, come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow when you have it with you today. But you understand that grace and compassion should compel us all to do whatever is in our ability to help someone in their time of need. Are you willing to help? Are you willing to, to respond? Are, are you willing to enter into to, to someone else's problem to offer them assistance and to point them to the right way? James addresses so much in his letters. It's so much of a letter of love written to the believers calling them to be a people of action. Not just talk about things. Not just study things. Not just to... to, to you know, enter in conversation or Bible studies about things, but actually to take the Word of God and apply it to our lives and to live it out in this lost, dark, twisted world that we live in. That we could be the message of hope seasoned with grace and with a whole lot of love to a community that is in desperate need of knowing about Jesus' love for them. And it's going to require all of us to be a part all of us to find our roles. And, and not all of those roles are on, like on a church staff or an official ministry within the church. Ministry happens inside the church. It happens outside the church. I'm not trying to restrict you to understanding that what you do has to happen on a Sunday or a Wednesday night. No, just what is God preparing you for? What is He, what is he put inside you, those desires? What has He gifted you with? What is your passion do you have a passion to see that other people can come to know Jesus? And if you do, then how are you going to engage in the process of taking the message of Jesus to the world that's in desperate need of hearing about Him? And it's going to require all of us to be working in cooperation with one another. And this morning, as we wrap up chapter 4, the, the three sins, the, the sin of self-sufficiency, the presumption, you just think your life is yours to do with how you want, when you want, and never including God in that, that process. There's the, the sin of that arrogant boasting and your accomplishments and your plans without giving any attention and glory to God. And this is sin that we have in our lives that we know that God's called us to do something or to live a certain way and we're just not there. We know the right that we're supposed to be doing and we're not doing it. That's sin. How do you respond with that today? What do you do? My encouragement is for you is to allow the Holy Spirit to point out whatever deficiency is in our character and that as the Holy Spirit points out that deficiency that we would confess that to God, repent from it, and allow Him to continue that sanctification work in our lives to make us a better reflection of the character of our Savior. Let's pray together, church. I want you to just sit there for a moment, if you will, and give some consideration to, to what the Holy Spirit might be trying to say to you this morning. As you're thinking and taking an inventory, let me ask you a few questions today. For those of you that have retired or nearing retirement, I want to ask you, have you talked to God about your plans for retirement? Or have you simply just presumed that your plans were yours to make 
any way that you wanted to make them. For those that are going to school or thinking about going off to school, have you talked to God about your educational plans? Have you asked Him what He thinks about your desire to pursue a degree? Or have you simply thought that going to school or going back to school was a no-brainer and that was your decision to make on your own? For those of you that are in relationships, have you asked God about His opinions about your plan and desire to marry that person? Or maybe even, have you asked God what He thinks about your desire to file for divorce? Maybe you're here, you're single. Have you asked God if it's His desire for you to just remain single for a while? I know that might not be what you want for your life, but do you know what He's planning for you? What about that person you're dating? I know that you think that they're perfect for you, but have you asked God what He thinks about them? You have a tendency today to to take your life for granted? Have you been neglecting spending time with your, your family, your spouse, your children? Are you more concerned about the things of this world than you are eternal matters? Come on, church, are you still holding on to grudges today? Are you still angry at someone for something they did or something that they said days, weeks, months, years ago? Are you still withholding forgiveness? I'm telling you, today is a great day just to let it all go. Today is a great day to to surrender your whole life to just Dio Valente, God willing. Whatever you desire, Father, whatever you want from me and for me, I will receive and I will walk in faithfulness. Oh, Father, help us to understand what we're to do. Help us to know how to do it. Help us to be faithful to you, Father. May we know that discovering your will is as simple as knowing your word. And God, let us be students and lovers of your word. For each and every person that's here today, Father, give us something today. Something to do, something to change, something to pray, something to commit to. So that you would be honored and that you would be glorified. Father, we commit this whole time of invitation unto you. We ask your blessings upon it. And we seek to please you in this process. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.